The Q Affair. Part 2. The Q Woo. While some similarities to living people may exist in your mind on reading this novel, it is a work of fiction. So it's your problem if you have people like this in your life. Chapter 12. Q could tell I was not going the direction he wanted, despite all his best efforts. And now that he could see I was not convinced by the new flurry of emails that he was Q, he was getting decidedly snippy with me. I, however, was busy with my newfound interest in Qishness, so some of it was washing over me, now that I had a lot to do, not all of which I wanted to tell him about. I wanted to know more about Terence, the Liber Locust, and Q, and if they all had Terence in common. I hadn't far to go to find out more about Terence, as suddenly Jay announced he'd written to Terence. Why? I asked. Do you know him? No, but I do now, he said happily. I introduced myself. He's a fascinating man. I've known of him. He's a spy, you see, working for the other side. I see, I said diplomatically, I hoped. Who would that be? Oh, let's just say a three-letter agency, other side. I can't just tell you everything. You have to figure things out for yourself, question everything. Ah, yes. Well, question one then, I guess, would be, why are you emailing the other side then? It's a spy thing. Honour among gentlemen and all that. Would you like to see the email? You can show me the email, I said in what I hoped was not too incredulous a tone of typing as I shook with laughter. No, I don't think so, dear. It wouldn't be right showing me someone else's private mail. The laptop on my lap shook too as I giggled away to myself. Of course, he had the email exchange copied to his clipboard already and the paste function popped it up within seconds. His, I noticed, was from a different email address than the one Cross had written to. Perhaps he'd had to open a new account to avoid a flood of curious questioners from Desiree's subs or somewhere else the emails had been read out. The email and the reply from Terence were short and polite, with the tone of the reply mirroring the light humour of Jay's greeting. It didn't say much, just a two gentlemen spies tipping their hats to one another in the street in Havana from a black and white movie kind of a greeting. He te seemed terribly pleased about it, though. It was making some kind of passing joke about Terence doing well to fire Fandango, which pleased Terence enough to thank the sender, making me feel sure somehow that there'd be more emails between them. I wouldn't be too surprised if I was shown a few of them too. I went back through some of the puzzle videos, doing a search a bit wider on the topic in YouTube, and found other videos discussing not just the clues, but the history of the puzzle. It had been around for a long time, and one of the videos interested me greatly. It was from way back in 2012, the same year the number clue document that Michael Quinn had pointed to seemed to date from. 
It had a lot of video elements I recognised as being consistent with the newer video clues from this year's version of the puzzle I'd seen on Fandango's channel. But this time I was listening to see if the music sounded like the same composer or the visual clues looked like they were on the same themes. I noticed that a new element was there in the visuals that wasn't in this year's puzzle. What I would have called a Zorro mask, synonymous with the Occupy Wall Street activist movement, which had held worldwide anti-globalist protests way back then, starting the year before the video's date. It seemed Q did have some kind of connection with the puzzle then, once, as I could see the matches for anonymous movement references that Q videos used later, mixed in with the puzzle visuals. I thought what a pity it was that I was too stupid to solve the puzzle clues that called for knowledge of encryption and maths too. Now I could see from some of the references that were turning up that made it obvious that maths played a big part in solving the Liber Locust. Hang on, we've got a knock at the door and I have to uh, wait until it goes away. <laughs> this is interrupting. 28 minutes in, knock on the door. When I found Terence's music channel, I'd seen how he'd given little breadcrumb clues for the puzzle as well, which were to do with sacred geometry, and I despaired as I thought of how the nuns had insisted in frustration with me, and I had to agree that I was mathematically illiterate from all those years of reading any other books but school books under my desk and drawing pictures all over my copy books instead of paying attention to what was going on on the board. The maths part of my brain seemed completely atrophied, so there was little hope of my understanding any of these clues. There was the cue board as well, on 8chan to examine. That forum style board was very confusing. What a horrible user interface to navigate and to look at. I felt it was not only the porno advertisements aimed at men who hadn't had sex in a while and the extra acres of boobage sandwiched between cartoons of big-nosed Jewish guys that put what those on the chance quaintly and mistakenly from a marketing demographic perspective referred to as boomers anyone over 40-ish, off looking at cue drops there, in favour of the clearer white-on-black text-only inter interface of the other site, called the cue map, designed for those who wanted the posts without the porn. It was the difficulty of finding your way to the correct political board on the chans in the first place, then being able to find the cue posts among all the other anons and bakers, that sauced up the research with extra gore or meme posts. Posts are posted on the same board. Sorry, I messed that up. <laughs> I'm going to have to re-record this. This is terrible. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go back a bit, folks. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. How's that? Because I just messed the whole lot up. Chapter 12. 
Q could tell I was not going the direction he wanted, despite all his best efforts. And now that he could see, I was not convinced by the new flurry of emails that he was Q. He was getting decidedly snippy with me. I, however, was busy with my newfound interest in Qishness. So some of it was washing over me, now that I had a lot to do, not all of which I wanted to tell him about. I wanted to know more about Terence, the Liber Locust, and Q, and if they all had Terence in common. I hadn't far to go to find out more about Terence, as suddenly Jay announced he'd written to Terence. Why, I asked, do you know him? No, but I do now, he said happily. I introduced myself. He's a fascinating man. I've known of him. He's a spy, you see, working for the other side. I see, I said diplomatically, I hoped. Who would that be? Oh, let's just say a three-letter agency. Other side. I can't just tell you everything. You have to figure out things for yourself. Question everything. Ah, yes. Well, question one then, I guess, would be, why are you emailing the other side then? It's a spy thing. Honour among gentlemen and all that. Would you like to see the email? You can show me the email, I said, in what I hoped was not too incredulous a tone of typing as I shook with laughter. No, I don't think so, dear. It wouldn't be right showing me someone else's private mail. The laptop on my lap shook too as I giggled away to myself. Of course, he had the email exchange copied to his clipboard already and the paste function popped it up within seconds. His, I noticed, was from a different email address than the one Cross had written to. Perhaps he'd had to open a new account to avoid a flood of curious questioners from Desiree's subs or somewhere else the emails had been read out. The email and the reply from Terence were short and polite, with the tone of the reply mirroring the light humour of Jay's greeting. It didn't say much, just the two gentlemen spies tipping their hats to one another in the street in Havana from a black and white movie kind of a greeting. He seemed terribly pleased about it, though. It was making some kind of passing joke about Terence doing well to fire Fandango, which pleased Terence enough to thank the sender, making me feel sure somehow that there'd be more emails between them. I wouldn't be too surprised if I was shown a few of them too. I went back through some of the puzzle videos, doing a search a bit wider on the topic in YouTube and found other videos discussing not just the clues, but the history of the puzzle. It had been around for a long time and one of the videos interested me greatly. It was from way back in 2012, the same year the number clue document that Michael Quinn had pointed to seemed to date from. It had a lot of video elements I recognised as being consistent with the newer video puzzles from this year's version of the puzzle I'd seen on Fandango's channel. But this time I was listening to see if the music sounded like the same composer or the visual clues looked like they were on the same themes. I noticed that a new element was there in the visuals that wasn't in this year's puzzle. 
what I would have called a Zorro mask, synonymous with the Occupy Wall Street activist movement, which had held worldwide anti-globalist protests way back then, starting the year before the video's date. It seemed Q did have some kind of connection with the puzzle then, once, as I could see the matches for anonymous movement references that Q videos used later, mixed in with the puzzle visuals. I thought what a pity it was that I was too stupid to solve the puzzle clues that called for knowledge of encryption and maths too, now I could see from some of the references that were turning up that made it obvious that maths played a big part in solving the Liber Locust. When I found Terence's music channel, I'd seen how he'd given little breadcrumb clues for the puzzle as well, which were to do with sacred geometry, and I despaired as I thought of how the nuns had insisted in frustration with me, and I had to agree that I was mathematically illiterate, from all those years of reading any other books but school books under my desk and drawing pictures all over my copy books instead of paying attention to what was going on on the board. The maths part of my brain seemed completely atrophied, so there was little hope of my understanding any of those clues. There was the cue board as well on 8chan to examine. That forum-style board was very confusing. What a horrible user interface to navigate and to look at. I felt it was not only the porno advertisements aimed at men who hadn't had sex in a while, and the extra acres of boobage sandwiched between cartoons of big-nosed Jewish guys that put what those on the chance quaintly and mistakenly from a marketing demographic perspective referred to as boomers anyone over 40-ish, off, looking at Q-drops there, in favour of the clearer white-and-black text-only interface of the other site, called the Q-map, designed for those who wanted the posts without the porn. It was the difficulty of finding your way to the correct political board on the chans in the first place, then being able to find the Q-posts among all the other anons and bakers that sauced up the research with extra gore or meme posts. Posts that posted on the same board. It was very useful to read the posts from the original board Q had posted to, though, because it gave you feedback about the interactions between Q and his minions, which is how I saw the QAnons, once I realised how in awe of him they were. It was comical, but somehow sickening, to see him referred to as Sir, and the fawning that went on when he swept in to drop a post. They nearly did themselves a virtual in injury, what with all the scraping and bowing that went on, carried out in reverse when he swept out again, after dropping a post for them to swoon over. In their own parlance, it was faggoty. I didn't let on to my cue over in Twitter, what new perspective I was developing on the cue issue and how keen I'd got suddenly but the quality of my questions may have improved. Sadly, his humour didn't, and as I became more interested, he became more churlish. I would say his funny bone was put right out of place from around that point, as I noticed he had become extremely paranoid suddenly.
and was beginning to accuse me of working with people that Terence was fighting with. He'd seen me on a video comment section of a videographer that did some of the graphics for that year's puzzle, complimenting him for his video, which was a short clip of the clue he'd done the graphics for, with Terence's music playing behind it. I pointed out that commenting under a video does not constitute working with someone. But I wasn't as surprised at the paranoia as you might suppose, since Desiree and her subs were forever putting me in gangs with other YouTubers for just the same type of thing. Interacting with any YouTuber could mean you worked with them in a gang. Jay, however, was supposed to be my friend and much more, so I was taken aback. I pointed out that perhaps by the same logic, Jay was working with Desiree then in a gang, since he decided he was so annoyed at the suggestion he was being mistaken now for this Bob Coventry fellow, that he decided to put her straight by dropping her an email to clear the whole thing up. A bad atmosphere was definitely setting in. And I was more than uncomfortable with the idea that he had emailed Desiree. He was nonplussed by my shock when he told me he had contacted her directly, since I didn't want her to have any real ammo to load her weaponized tongue up with, knowing how awful it would look if she linked me with the Q cross email correspondence. I'd little chance then of her ever shutting up about me. Why had Jay been such a total plonker about it? She was bound to go into overdrive when Q started writing directly to her. And although it promised some comedic moments, I worried that he'd tell her he knew me. Perhaps I should have just beat a hasty retreat from DMs and Jay at that point. But I felt these were all just misunderstandings that could be cleared up if he just stopped throwing more fibs at it and started telling me some truth. I thought he was feeling the same, as his paranoia about me was growing, until he started wondering, was I a honeypot sent by enemies to get information out of him? You chatted me up, you ninny, not the other way around, I pointed out, reminding myself for the umpteenth time to try to be patient with him, as he was forever reminding me he was having to be with me at my inability to see the importance of Q or the logic of the posts. In the middle of worrying about this, Terence, who wasn't known for being very outgoing, having a mysterious image to maintain, suddenly popped up for an interview on someone's channel. I nearly missed it because it was a small channel, but there was a growing buzz about it on some of the channels I frequented as others were getting curious about the man who had fired Fandango from the puzzle and what he'd had to say about the whole argument. Fandango was still fuming and losing no time in putting out all sorts of information about Terence that we all supposed Terence would want to refute. We had learned how the puzzle came together and the team that had put it together, according to Fandango, were all going to have their moment in the spotlight. Oh yes, he was going to make sure of that. I gathered that if it were a fight club type deal, as the Discordian document described, where you couldn't talk about it, 
that he was planning to really spoil some things for the other people involved in the puzzle by taking all the mystery out of it, giving clues away, and goodness knows what other secrets the privacy-loving puzzle groups had kept, maybe ruining the whole reputation of a puzzle that had been a big mysterious deal on the internet for years. He gravitated between a frantic, upbeat mood and a desperate, depressed one in the next few videos, and I felt rather sorry for him as he ended up driving to a church on one of the videos with tears streaming down his chubby face, which had been so jolly just the week before when he'd celebrated his 33rd birthday with a slurpy beverage and a steak with his subs, listing things he'd used donos for in his super chat if they wanted to give him presents. Mercifully, the unmanly tears were semi-obscured by his usual designer sunglasses, as rather amateur dramatically he announced he was going to kill himself before bouncing towards the altar and shutting off the live stream. Bummer, I thought. Guy's having a bad day. Worried that he might have nobody to talk to when he went home that night, I tweeted at him not to be too down, that I was sure he'd feel better about it the next day and maybe find a friend to talk to about it then, rather than be on his own, just in case. What a stupid thing that turned out to be to do. A few hours later, I got a reply to my tweet. Fuck you. Oh, well, I thought bound to be upset if you're, well, upset. And bad manners go with being upset, don't they? I was glad he was feeling up to talking to me abusively, to be honest. I was relieved he was still alive. It turned out he did have friends. I knew he did, probably, but knew that subs could be the fair weather kind of friends who liked the drama, but might not stick around when you needed them and might even be too dim to see if someone was in danger of really killing themselves. You just never know, do you? The friend was one of his subs, and she made her anger at me known in the rest of the Twitter thread. I pointed out I was just concerned, but she was having none of it, and continued berating me on his behalf. Look, you stupid woman, I insisted. I was genuinely concerned and trying to let him know somebody cared. She carried on in the same vein, and I got fed up of it, and posted a few jeering gifts, reminding myself that they'd never been nice to me, so don't expect them to start now, and headed into Twitter private DMs to escape, when I saw a notification to show that Jay was in there, posting to me. He wasn't impressed at my compassion excuse either. Why on earth was I expressing sympathy for Fandango? I had to go through the same explanation that the guy was a human being who might have been going to kill himself. He was grumpy and suspicious about me for getting involved, and the explanation didn't seem to satisfy him any more than his explanations of why I should have faith that he was Q did to me. In fact, the idea that he could be Q was something that was starting to grow on me. I'd taken a look around Twitter a bit in my explorations and started to see how much the movement, if you could have called it that, was expanding, from initially a fairly small base 
Jay had bought me a red MAGA hat as a prezi, and I tweeted out a photo of myself wearing it, which I thought would make his day. Somehow, quite a lot of Q accounts had seen it and started following my account just on the basis of that one tweet. I hadn't even got any of the Q hashtags on the tweet, so I wondered how the accounts had found me. But Jay was pretty pleased and thought I looked nice in it, with my matching red lipstick and my best cheeky grin on. I was discovering that Jay thought in Skinnerian terms a lot, with me a kind of pigeon in his mind that you rewarded with seed for good behaviour and punished with sulkiness and paranoid accusations when you didn't play along. I don't see myself as a pigeon experiment, so I got the sulks and paranoia as often as the good moods, and we were lucky that our conversations weren't all on the topic of YouTubers or Q, because he would have been always grumpy had we not plenty of other things to range through in our mutual interests. Terence's interview was an eye-opener, or would have been had it not been for the fact that he didn't care to show himself on camera. Instead, he was a disembodied voice as the interviewer conducted what seemed like a prearranged scripted interview, one whose purpose was to show off Terence at his best. He had a voice like warm chocolate and a good-humoured gentle cascade of a laugh as he complimented his host on his insightful questions and he was off to a good start. I was impressed as the interview went on at his erudition as he spoke on politics, art and music but I became more solid on the idea which had been very nebulous in my mind until then that this man fit the bill very well for the guy I had in DMs with me in the talking department. For the man that said he was Q. I couldn't think of anyone else in the truther end of YouTube who did fit from what I'd observed so far in getting to know Q. He was very bright and had a very driven and energetic kind of intelligence that just beat into every topic or danced across different topics, connecting things in a way that made me feel the breadth and depth of the learning was from much reading and extensive study, as well as a deep interest in each topic. I'd felt that about Q, although I'd got the sense by now that his intelligence was far more creative than it was logical as he tended to associate things which had little logical association. But if he were wanting to persuade me he were Q, he would have to use Q logic, wouldn't he? Which, let's face it, involved a lot of silliness and a lot of illogic. Most of Jay's communications with me to date had been about telling me fancy lies, but Terence was also quite clearly a masterful snake oil salesman if this interview was anything to go by. I could well be wrong, I thought, and the ideas were still coming together with the new parts of the puzzle I had found. When you put it together with the timing of Terence asking me to help him LARP to Zire, though, with the appearance of the strange knight in shining armour, 
to defend my honour in my channel comments, closely followed up by the hacked emails. Then the love bombardment that was accompanied by a promise to brainwash me for the Q cause so I could help him save the world. Well, well now, it made you pause for thought a bit. There was one more thing, a small thing, a piece of the puzzle that I could definitely solve for once. I'd found Terence's website, which had the same name as his channel, and he had one of his music videos on it. That wasn't what drew my interest, as I'd seen it already, and it had provided the link to the blog post that I was looking at now, underneath the video. The short puzzle clue breadcrumb he'd inserted in the post beneath the video was what made me sit up and take notice there on my daybed in the living room as I sipped my tea. It referred to a mistake he'd made on first meeting a woman and a resulting rejection, then a reference which I recognised instantly. It was a reference to a piece of prose that Jay and myself had discussed in one of our conversations. And not now very popular Willem Congreve poem with a story and puzzle to do with confusion around one of the words that I'd quoted a line from. Jay's tastes in poetry and literature tended to be boringly predictable, Q-approved type patriotic things like Kipling's If. But the line I'd quoted to him and discussed the similar version from another work was, Music hath charms to soothe the savage breast. I'd pointed out long before I'd come across the blog post Terence wrote, that most people mistakenly used the word beast instead of breast, if they were familiar at all with the line, because of the existence of a similar poem that probably he was referencing. He had brought up how offended I'd been when he'd complimented my shape on meeting me first, in what I thought an oafish way at the time, something I'd forgiven him for very quickly and had only mentioned in DMs when the topic of our first meeting had come up again. Now I was finding an oblique reference to that initial meeting, a clue, using the word beast as a clue instead of breast, followed by the helpful hint that therein lay the clue if you could see it and a reference to an apology, and how I would be sure to return to do our mission to ahead together. I deposited my empty teacup beside me and scrambled to find out by right-clicking the page to bring up the HTML to seek out a date for any revisions made to the post, as the original post was an old one, but could have had revisions made at a later date. I had no luck with that, but the coincidence seemed too significant, and the clue certainly looked like it had been put there for me to find. It just fit too well to be about anything else, although I admit freely I'm not a statistical analysis kind of woman and wouldn't have gambled my life on it either. It was a pretty darn strong coincidence though, and I felt now I'd picked up the scent of cue and a clear print on the ground, and that I was approaching the correct wabbit hole to get a good look at that pesky wascal. Terence was a pretty interesting guy, 
I, I enjoyed finding out more about him. He wrote well in a similarly flowery, romantic style on his blog to how Jay spoke to me, at least when he was in a good mood. And like Jay, he ranged on a variety of topics, although Jay wasn't as refined in his tastes, despite loving language. That seemed consistent with the creation of a LARPy character constructed to fool me with, though. A simple military man and all that. Terence's photos, the few there were of him on his videos and blog, were of a man that looked to be in his thirties. But I gathered from the grainy, aged snapshot look of them and the quality of the very few video snippets of him I found on his site, floundering flouncily in lace sleeves around the keys of a grand piano, that he might not look like that anymore and might well be a bit older now. He was a big fan of privacy, according to his blog and his interview. And of course, a lot of the encryption stuff in the puzzle had been to highlight the privacy invasions of the modern world, with all our rights to privacy being ripped away from us. And part of the puzzle highlighted how important preserving our online privacy was by drawing attention to encryption, using the ciphers as a kind of metaphor for this which, when decoded, were supposed to reveal further layers of esoteric meaning for you to ponder and find out more about for yourself. Question everything and all that. He was, it seemed, on something of a moral crusade with his music and his work on the puzzle, according to himself. He had some terribly talented people helping him still, he said. And it was a shame about Fandango, but the puzzle would go on regardless. Nothing could stop it. It was a worldwide phenomenon that had kept solvers intrigued and attracted some of the finest minds from all over the world. It had been a privilege to be involved in its making, and the winner each year would be approached to do more work with recruiters from alphabet agencies vying to utilise their skills, as indeed he hinted subtly they had competed to get their hands on his own brain when he was a very young talent. Quite a prize, and naturally he couldn't reveal everything about it. Music was his first love, however, and always would be. The puffed-upness of him was left less overt than Jay's in one way. He wasn't insisting he was a genius outright like Jay, who was a cryptology genius. But his fake modesty was inviting that conclusion being drawn by the listener and the accolades and applause all the same. He referred to famous puzzles and musical terms in Italian in the same sentences to dazzle you. You could almost imagine him preening like a peacock as he spoke, perhaps parading around his bedroom like a Napoleon in underpants, fingers to nipple as he read his lines for the YouTube peanut gallery's admiration. Jay, on the other hand, could be rather shy in terms of boasting about his achievements. In fact, I still knew little about him that came across as solid, other than the usual Q-myth, which he trotted out, dressed up a bit with more stars and stripes and various uniform changes, the standard fare for any Q-believer.
and he veered between despairing that I would never understand him, bouts of paranoia that I was working against him somehow, and being the happiest man in the world because I loved him. He was, like me, in a bit of confusion, apparently. I don't actually mind vain people too much, once they've something to be vain about, and his music was pretty good. It was a romantic classical style and I loved some of the clips of old silent movies he'd put in the videos that weren't all Lieber Locust things, but some of his other music projects too. In the descriptions it said some were excerpts from overtures he was working on, or sonatas, or even symphonic pieces, and he claimed to have worked with famous symphonies. I couldn't see any full symphonies or finished pieces of the things he said he was working on. So I did have enough questions floating about in my mind to find myself looking at some footage that didn't quite match what was happening on the keyboard and wonder about whether he was really playing the piano or just flapping his elbows about while his lacy sleeves flew in a floppy passion across the keys. If he were a horseman, he would be described as having a bad seat, but with only a grade one piano cert myself to judge his performance by, and the out-of-sync footage and circling camera, looking for all his best angles to shoot him from, and being stuck for choice, it seemed. It was really hard to come to a definite conclusion about whether this was my lovable little liar or not.